You know, my entire life, and I don't know why, maybe I was blessed with this, uh, but my entire life, any decision I made, when I was thinking about making the decision and I felt a little sick to my stomach, I knew I was on the right path. Welcome to the Job Speakers Podcast. My name is Robert Hendrickson, and every week I explore the universe of jobs and uncover personal career stories that could very well change your life. This week's guest is Graham Everson. He's our 31st guest. It's our 32nd episode. And you're about to be exposed to personal uh, stories of struggle, how to run a small business, how to lead and manage people, how to balance family and work commitments, pretty much everything you could possibly imagine, all packed into one extremely, how should we put this? eventful episode. I'll gracefully bow out and let you hear Graham firsthand. And if any of you are listening from my hometown of Sterling, Connecticut, where Graham is sort of a local legend, which I'm sure he'll appreciate hearing me say, uh, this will be a great chance for you to catch up with him uh, virtually. Enjoy the episode. Good morning, Graham. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'll, I'll probably say some things in the intro about the fact that we've known each other since we were knee high. So it's, <laughs> it's always good to see you. Yes, we have. It is both both ways. Let's just start by uh, maybe uh, explaining what you do for a living. Well, my name is Graham Everson, and I own a uh, company called Mercer Monument Works. Uh, Mercer Monument Works is um, its main headquarters is in Plainfield, Connecticut. Um, it has a location in uh, Dudley, Massachusetts, and also another location in Wilbraham, Massachusetts called Custom Monument Designs. And what we do is we build gravestones. We build gravestones. Uh, we do uh, cemetery lettering, cemetery repairs. Um, I run a few cemeteries as well, so I'm involved in the burial processes and things. Uh, so in essence, I'm the finish line. Um, uh, where the race ends, I get the last word. How many people work? Uh, for your business and for you? We have nine employees. Yeah, we have nine employees, including myself and my wife, because um, we do work day-to-day there. Um, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a family business. Uh, my stepfather, who raised me since I was five, who I consider my father, um, started this little business up in the hills of Sterling, Connecticut, at his house, um, who was, and he was taught by um, his best friend, Louis LaPearl, who owned the LaPearl Monuments for years and years and years. Um, who in essence would take me when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, when we were young guys and he'd take me as free labor on the weekends. So I kind of learned it. I learned the business uh, when I was a kid, you know, so, you know, high school, college, uh, you go do your own thing. Um, and I came back to it in the, in 2000, I think, um, I got fired from a job. No, no, I got laid off from a job, laid off with the intent not to be brought back. Um, you know, as I think we all have at one point in time. Uh, and I was going to take some time off, and my dad said he needed some help. And I think I was, got early 30s. And, uh, yeah, early 30s. So I told my dad I'd give him 20 hours a week, and that turned into 40 hours a week, which turned into, by the way, still working out of my father's home. And uh, so... I had a pretty good business sense. I had run my own business prior to that for quite some years. So I was building houses and working construction out in uh, Rhode Island. And I've done a lot of different things. Um, I get bored easy, so I need to 
keep my mind uh, busy. And uh, so I said, well, let's, let's grow the business a little bit. We can't feed just, you know, if we're going to feed two families off this, we need to, you know, we increase what we do. Uh, so we started doing that. And we did that for a handful of years. Um, I ended up buying more equipment, more up-to-date equipment, uh, more equipment, crane trucks and things so we could work smarter, not harder. Um, you know, all keeping in sight of uh, the big picture. A lot of the people, my industry, the monument industry, is a, it's a very, very stoic, stoic business. That must change. Um, and, and when it changes, it changes uh, begrudgingly. They, I think I'm one of the younger guys in northeastern Connecticut, or, or actually this side of the Connecticut River, who actually owns a monument company. Um, we work for eight other monument companies that we service them 100% where their owners are so aged to the point where they can't do any of the physical work, uh, which, listen, you're dealing with monuments, it's granite. Everything's heavy. You gotta keep it away from your fingers and your toes or you're gonna get hurt. You're gonna get hurt. And uh, so we work for seven, eight, eight other monument companies that we do all of their work. Everything is shipped to us. We're a full production facility. And, um, and we actually work for about a dozen funeral homes as well. So we got quite a big customer base um, and a wholesale customer base as well. Uh, and uh, so it keeps us very busy. And, you know, I, I say about my business often um, uh, that we're not recession proof, but we are 100% recession resistant um, because you can't stop people from dying. So um, I, always have, I always have plenty of things to do. So um, anyway, so my dad and I ran it out of his home for quite a few years. Um, life happens. Uh, divorces happened, went through some hard times. Um, and my dad had been starting to travel to Florida for about four to five to six months out of the year. Um, and before you know it, uh, he was there like almost all the time. So we moved it from the front lawn of his house and, uh, uh, we moved it from the front lawn of his house. I bought a piece of property in Plainfield and this was in 2000, I think 11. And uh, I bought a piece of property uh, on Route 12 in Plainfield, which is a main main road there. And um, uh, I started building a new building, a, a production facility, a real grown-up working shop, if you will. And uh, my dad was not very happy about it because uh, he wanted to keep it, you know, uh, exactly how it was, working out of his home, which he was comfortable with. My dad was, you know, was in, in the 60s, and he was retirement age. And I pretty much said to him, I said, Dad, listen, we've got three choices here. I says, um, I says, one, we can have two locations, which will be six miles apart, which is silly. I said, two, we can, uh, uh, you can come work for me. And uh, I don't think he was a fan of that. Uh, and three, I said, welcome to retirement. And uh, he was mad at me for about a good month. For a good month, he didn't speak to me, um, other than when he had to at work, you know. And uh, so... At the end of that month, I came into the office one day, um, and he said, uh, I'm heading to Florida, which he usually did right around Thanksgiving. I said, when? He goes, uh, next week. I'm like, oh, I guess, I guess we t took option three. He goes, yeah. He goes, you're right. I says, awesome. And, uh, and we worked it out. And so from a business that was just he and I, um, I had my cousin, one of my cousins, uh, who was about my age working for me. He had about six or seven years in training to him. 
and uh, yeah, we just took it from there and I kept adding people and uh, um, you know, as I kept, as I kept the finger on the pulse of the market of, 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 of monument sales, which people say, I mean, how often does someone buy a monument? Uh, usually about once in their lifetime. Um, so there's, um, it's not a, it's not a quick decision like buying a pack of gum in a line on, when, you're, when you're at the grocery store. And, and uh, you know, as I tell my wife who works with us all the time, it's like, no one gets happy to see me. I can't wait to go buy a monument today. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough sale um, because it's all generated 100% around emotion. It's an emotional sale, 100%. And I tell the people that work for me and that sell for me, I says, uh, you know, we give, there, there's, no, um, there's no hard sell. It's not a, it's not a low... Uh, it's it's a no pressure sale. This is I've actually told people um, I don't think you're ready to do this yet because a lot of times people when they're buying the monument that's closure. Uh, they finally see the the name the name on the stone in the cemetery. That's closure for people, which a lot, a lot of people have have uh, an issue with. Um, but I tell people we don't we don't uh, we're not car salesmen, and I, no knock against car salesmen, guys. Don't get mad at me. But we we're not there to do numbers and push people into a sale. Um, we're not there to to give them the business and you know and exaggerate. Uh, you're dealing with emotion, so it's 100% upfront, um, 100% straight, and uh, you know we we guide them. We guide them. You know what? And I, if I ramble a lot, Bob, just cut me off anytime. That's okay. You had a good run there, but let me ask you a question. What? <laughs> It sounds like you have a lot of wholesale business and a, and a fairly big retail presence, but I'll still ask my question. Why, in your mind, do you think you would be the preferred choice for someone shopping for a gravestone for someone in their family or maybe even for themselves in the future, I suppose? And, you know, that's a real easy one um, because, like I said earlier, before I went off on this big, long tangent about it being a stoic industry is is the, uh, a lot of people in this industry haven't changed. And that a lot of people that sell monuments for a living do not have a website. Um, uh, and they also are one and two man, uh, one and two man businesses, which means when they're in the field working, uh, there's no one in an office. There's no one at a retail location, which is what people need because people's attitude nowadays is they want the Amazon. They want an order a monument. They want it on their front step the next day. So you need somebody that has to be in the retail location. So when they show up, questions are answered. People don't want to call to make an appointment. Uh, they're impatient. They want immediate gratification. So we try to, uh, you know, I man three offices and we try to have uh, a good spread of hours and, you know, in a, in a, a social media presence as well as an internet presence. Uh, we've done commercials on TV. Um, we are on the radio all the time. Um, uh, so yeah, we, we try to stay in people's face because, you know, if you get up in the morning and say you want to buy a new car, well, you know where to go buy a new car because you see car ads and you see dealerships all over the place. You want to buy a couch, you know where the furniture stores are. When you want to buy a monument, you really got to think about where that place is, don't you? Uh, so with our, us keeping a presence um, and even some of the things we do for the uh, we do a lot of things with local charities and you know, my wife started a foundation about four or five years ago. Um, so people know who we are. As you describe the, the decision to you know, move into your dad's business and eventually take it over. And now fast yeah. forward, you know, hindsight's 2020. As you think about that though, what was the hardest thing about making the decision to do that? And then what was the hardest thing about growing the business to where you wanted it? 
You know, my entire life, and I don't know why, maybe I was blessed with this, uh, but my entire life, any decision I made, when I was thinking about making the decision and I felt a little sick to my stomach, I knew I was on the right path. When I thought about making a decision, I was like, yeah, let's just do this. I knew it was going to be a poor one. Um, so something innately in me says, you can do this, but you got to work at it. And I had been in the construction industry um, since I got out of school in 92, um, out of college in 92. And um, I was really burnt out in the construction industry. I was an estimator, project manager, um, did it for, a, you know, ran some big, big projects, ran a big project up in Boston at the Big Dig and uh, a lot of big stuff and it's high stress um, and it was getting really burnt out in construction. And I was working in Providence, Rhode Island, which is, you know, the, the um, it's a pretty colorful place to work and love the city of Providence, but it's, it's a fun little place. But I had, I was a workaholic when I was younger. I was working a full-time job and I started buying properties in uh, northeastern Connecticut, uh, tracts of land. Um, and, I, and I put a couple subdivisions in. Well, I was doing that on nights and weekends. Um, and honestly, you know, to the people that are out there working hard, um, the amount of time that I worked probably cost me my first marriage uh, because I just, not only was I building a few subdivisions, but I had rental properties. So I didn't see my family often, but I provided for them well, um, which in hindsight, not necessarily the right thing. That being said, I was early 30s and I was just done, done with it all. Um, I actually, <laughs> I owned a trailer park and I went to, uh, I went to collect rents. Every Friday I collected rents because you get more money if you collect weekly versus monthly. So I'm at the front step of uh, this guy who owes me money. And it was, uh, it was Thanksgiving-ish and it was Sleeting out, nasty, and I'm on the front step of his trailer. And uh, he was telling me how he couldn't pay the rent. And this was an 03, 02. And back then, remember flat screen TVs on the wall cost huge money? Now you can get them for, you know, 500 bucks at, at, at uh, Walmart. But he had a huge flat screen TV on the wall. And back then it was like $3,000, this thing was. And he's telling me how he couldn't pay his rent. And it was the first time ever. As a, as a landlord that I wanted to lay my hand on this person and just take it out of them, which is obviously wrong. And I didn't. And I, and I, I remember walking out of there and I called my realtor and I says, I want you to sell all my rental properties. And he said, are you kidding me? He said, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. You can only serve so many masters. And I was serving too many masters. And, and, uh, it showed at my job that I was doing in, in Rhode Island. And subsequently, you know, not long after, the guy said to me, uh, we're letting you go. I just, you know, it, it spread too thin, entirely too thin. And he was right. And he was a great guy. We're still friends. Um, and actually, he let me go. He wasn't going to bring me back. But then like a month later, he says, can you come and work, you know, like 10 hours a week for me? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, whatever. And uh, so... The decision to do the monuments was almost forced on my, um, my burnout where I was going to take some time off and just do nothing for a little while because I did sell everything. I sold all my rental properties. Um, I was still building houses. That's the only thing I kept in my back pocket. I had a subdivision that was, I was finishing up. So my dad had asked me and I never considered it because it was always something I did as a kid. 
And when I thought about doing what my father did in my 20s, it was like, ah, nah, I don't want to do that. It's, you know, you don't make enough money. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have a house in the Hamptons and drive a Ferrari and I'm going to take over the universe. You know, you know, my mantra used to be, you know, I'm Grammy Rusin. Who are you? You know, and which was, I mean, how eagles, that's ridiculous. But um, you get older and you start thinking about, you know, when you're young, you think about your destiny. Where am I going? You have a son, you get older. Now you think about your legacy. What am I leaving behind for my family and, and my, you know, my little guys? And uh, I think I started to mature and I started to realize that let's take something and build it that one is going to be mine that I'm responsible for. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of small business owners out there that um, they build their business so to the point where if they don't show up to work in the morning, their business can't run. I think that's wrong. I think you're doing your company a disservice. Um, I've created my corporate infrastructure so that I don't have to show up. I've been trying to get fired for two years. They won't fire me. <laughs> you know, I don't have to be there. I don't, I mean, look at, I've been here for two weeks doing the uh, COVID quarantine uh, and my company is still moving forward and making money. My responsibility, I feel, when I wake up in the morning is not to look at my employees and go, hey, you know, you got a job because of me. I go, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. I wake up in the morning and go, I have a responsibility to my employees to make sure that this company moves forward and they have a paycheck every week so they have a comfortable environment. So they're not worried about, oh, did Graham buy a Ferrari this week? Are we going to, are the paychecks going to, you know, uh, the paycheck's not going to clear, you know, or the direct deposit's not going to be there? Um, no, no, I feel that's wrong. Um, I think the older we get, uh, the less we need, the less I need, um, the less I want. And I feel more about just being comfortable, uh, you know? Yeah. So You described some personal challenges, some lessons learned. Right. You know, I know a little bit about that journey and, and I know you're in a good, a good, a great place now. What would you tell someone out there who maybe that resonates with? Maybe they too are going through a really hard time. Maybe they're a workaholic. What kind of advice could you give that person who maybe hasn't come out the other end yet? Um, what advice? Uh, what advice? What advice would I give someone? I think, I don't know. Things, you know, I, I've always said as if I've gotten, I've gotten older, you know, uh, uh, a smart man learns from his mistakes, but a wise man learns from other people's mistakes. Um, I was smart for a while. <laughs> I learned a lot from my, from my own mistakes. Um, what would I recommend? You know, my first wife, who we did have a good marriage for quite some time, um, she always said to me, you don't live in the moment. And I said, you're right, because people that live in the moment get stuck in the moment. And I didn't want to be that guy that got left behind. I was always, I always fought an inner battle. I always fought an inner battle to be an overachiever. Um, I always wanted to be the best at whatever I did. And in most cases, I wasn't, you know. Um, but I always that, was trying to, from? sorry to interrupt, but Probably. where do you think that came from? Oh, that's easy. That's an easy to pinpoint. Uh, my real father, uh, my real father was, um, my grandfather who was my real father's father, obviously, um, was constantly present in my life. I mean, we were at the airport every Sunday. He had a glider. We flew. I spent an enormous amount of time with my real grandfather and he was one of my guys. He was my guy, and uh, my real father was present in the world, but not present in my life. 
and I was always trying to be better at what I did so that he'd notice me. Listen, psychology 101 with, with children and broken families and stuff. My real father was not a good man. Um, uh, well, he wasn't, I don't want to say that. He might have been good to someone, but it wasn't to me or my mother. And uh, there was a lot of issues when we were young. We moved around the country, Arizona, uh, L.A., um, all over the place, you know. And uh, he, was, he was a physical guy, if you know what I mean. So anyway, I was always, I was always chasing something that now at 51 years old, I was always chasing something I wasn't going to catch. And it, but in the, in, the, in the inverse of that, or the converse of that, it gave me this drive that kept me uh, not comfortable in what I was at the moment. So I always wanted more and more and more. So it made me work harder and harder and harder because I was going to show him how good I was and what you're missing. Uh, listen, not that that was right. Not that that was the right thing to do. I didn't understand it when I was in my 20s. But, you know, I would hit the ground running every morning. I was, I was out of the door at 5, 5.30 every morning, and I was home at 7.30, 8 o'clock every night. And I did that Monday through Saturdays. Um, and then sometimes on Sundays, um, I just, and the banks back then gave people money, man, to tell you what, they give you money in a free bowl of soup for anything you wanted to buy. Um, I had 38 rental properties when I was 30 plus the full-time job in Providence working 50 hours a week and uh, a couple subdivisions that I GC. I didn't, I didn't swing the hammer myself when I built these homes. I GC them. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I was maxed right out. I was maxed right out. And you know, when the, um, like I said, I had some real big, uh, when the state police removed me from my home in 2008, I knew I better check myself before I wrecked myself. You take a good, hard, hard look. Um, once again, I was very fortunate, uh, very, very fortunate to come across someone in, in, uh, in a situation where she was kind of going through the same thing as me. And she was a psychologist by education. Uh, and I was a pretty good case study for her. And she kept me, she kept me from losing it. You know, she was my, she was my balance. And she talked me off the ledge, you know, a million times. And, uh, you know, she kept me from uh, doing something that I probably shouldn't have done. And it worked out, you know, it worked out. And she told me, she, she actually taught me how to be human again. Uh, I didn't do a lot for people. I always coached my boys. You know, I coached basketball. I coached uh, uh, baseball. I spent time in the community. I was uh, on the Wetlands Commission in the, in the uh, small northeastern town of Sterling, Connecticut. I was chairman of Wetlands Commission. So I gave my time freely, but not, not as much as I did uh, when her and I got together and I started giving my time selfishly, um, selflessly, excuse me, and uh, giving back to the, you know, the people around us. And it, and it felt better to, it felt better to give than just give for a reason. Let's, let's circle back a little. So besides finding a really awesome wife and life partner, which sounds to yep. me like was a crucial decision. Huge, huge. You got, you got it right when you most needed it, but kind of circling back because I did interrupt you a little bit. Again, for those people who maybe haven't gotten to that point, you know, again, are in the midst of the craziness that's probably overwhelming them. Any final thoughts on how they might get through the other end? I'll give you a perfect example. I'll give you a perfect story. My grandfather, who was a World War II uh, P-51 Mustang 
fighter pilot. Had 17 kills, and I actually have his gun cameras on video, which is an amazing watch because he fought the Nazis over Germany. I was having an incredibly bad day one day, screaming, yelling. I was a little bit of a hothead when I was in my 20s. And um, my, my grandfather was a man of few words. Didn't say much, but when he opened his mouth, he stopped and he listened. And I was complaining about something. He called me over. He says, Graham, come here. And I walked into his office and I go, what's up, Grandpa? He goes, are they shooting at you yet? I go, what? And I, it's just like, it, it was a comment that kind of came from left field. I said, what do you mean? He goes, very serenely and quietly again, he says, are they shooting at you yet? I said, nobody's shooting at me, Grandpa. And he said, then it's not that bad a day. And I walked out and I, and I went upstairs to my office and I went, wait a minute. This guy flew in World War II as a 21-year-old, 22-year-old fighter pilot when every day his mission was to go shoot people down and in turn, there's guys on the other side wearing different color uniforms trying to shoot him down. So every day when he flew these missions over Germany, people were trying to kill him. So if they're not shooting at you, that's not that bad a day. You know, uh, and, and I, I kind of, it took me a while to learn that. And then I would wake up in the morning and go, nah, nobody's shooting at me today. That's not that bad a day. One of the things when I interview people who own businesses, part of it is the business itself, which you've described. I want to pivot a little bit, ask you, when you think about your, your being an entrepreneur, essentially you have been, what are the three things you brought to that equation that have allowed you to be successful? Dedication, discipline, and desire. The dedication to my business. I... I don't want to work for a paycheck for someone else anymore. I don't know if I could. It's been a long time since I could. I don't think I could anymore. So the dedication is to give my time to this thing so it flourishes. Uh, the discipline, well, the discipline is simple. Live within your means. You own a small business. If you have a great payday one day, don't spend it because it's not all your money. Some of it's your, your creditor's money. Some of it's your employee's money. Uh, some of it's the town's money for taxes and the government's money. You know, if you make 10 grand, you can't spend 11. Uh, and desire. I still have a little bit of that drive in me that I, 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 I want to be, I, I desire the locations to be the best at what I do in my area. I want to be the guy, period. Um, I, I still, you know, I think anybody that owns a business still has a bit of an ego. We still have a little bit of things we need to feed, you know, make us feel good. And, and um, I still desire to have a company that people can rely on, that people go to. And they go, you don't go anywhere else besides Mercer Monument Works. It's the only place you should go. Um, that to me is just the, 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 the ultimate compliment. Do you still sell or is it all your people doing it for you? Okay, I will sell when I'm there. Um, and then I'll get yelled at by my other employees because I didn't sell it the way I had told them to sell it in the past. <laughs> but um, my, my wife and son, uh, my wife and stepson, who was, you know, uh, my oldest, who was also my foreman, and I was lucky to have, um, uh, so my, my second wife, who was a woman that we dated when we were in our 20s, believe it or not, we came back together, we came full circle. And she had this little guy back in our 20s who was a year and a half old, who is now 29 years old, who is, um, who is drinking the Mercer Monument Works Kool-Aid, likes what he does, uh, 
and is giving uh, giving himself wholeheartedly to the you know to the business. And he's very good at it. Very talented. Uh, very good with people. So I'm fortunate enough to have some good people around me. Uh, my wife does. 90% of the selling when she's in the office and we have the other two locations. I have salespeople there as well. Um, but at the main location, my wife does a lot of that. Uh, and, and sometimes it depends on if she's doing something else, whoever's sitting in that seat, when they walk through the front door, we help them out. You know, if we're in the front office, that means we can, we can design and sell. How do you balance the trade-offs between being business minded and family minded when you have a family run business? Uh, that's a tough one. That's a good one. It's my stepson, who I call my son because I've had him now for 14, 15 years, whatever it is. My wife, my uncle works in the back. So there's family involved. Uh, and the people that run the other places, I've known them for many, many years. You know, management management is, is, is I don't want to say babysitting, but maybe it's babysitting in the essence. They're not babies, but you, you need to learn people. And you need to watch people and you need to know their personalities, what gets them angry, what motivates them. Uh, you need to, you, you can't just be this blanket, you know, uh, czar in the office and be this guy that, you know, rules with a heavy fist. That's not how it works. When you have a small business, you get two people that call out sick because they're mad. Well, that, that could cripple you for a day or two. Um, so it's not like I can just call the union hall or just go down to the, uh, the local guy and say, hey, send me a couple of laborers. That's not how it works in a trade-oriented trade business like this. Um, there's not a lot of people doing what I do anymore um, because it's not easy work. And uh, it's tough to find good help, as a lot of people know. So when you deal with family versus typical employees and being a business, um, I've always been – I've never looked at things as knowledge is power. I don't like that concept when people manage and run a business where knowledge is power. I'll tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. I think, eh, wrong. That's wrong. If you want somebody to drink your Kool-Aid, if you want somebody to, when they're not working for you, not badmouth the company and say, you know, Graham sometimes can be tough, but he's a fair guy to work for. Um, then you got to learn to manage your people. You, you don't just look at those employees, like I said earlier, you're lucky you have a job. No, no, that's not the way to do it. If, you, if you're employing people that you need to do that with, well, then you're employing the wrong people. You need to train them. You need to keep them, treat them as family, you know, as long as you like your family, you know. <laughs> um, but treat them as family, and, and I do. We're, we're, listen, there's nine of us. It, it's, it's a close-knit company. We all talk every day. All of us talk every day, whether it's my wife talking to them, I'm talking to them, Stephen, who's my son, talking to them. Um, it, we're all involved in everyone's life. They've been to my home for dinner. Uh, I know their families. Um, it's we all know each other, and you know you take care of your people; they'll take care of you. I mean, really, that's how it works. You take care of people; they're going to take care of you. You know, and I, and I think I do. At least I try to, anyway. If I were to ask your wife the first question, which would be, "What is Graham amazing at?" and then ask her a second question and say, "What is Graham horrible at?" What would be her two answers? Um, what am I amazing at? Well, I tell you what. I think she would say, I think she would say that I'm a big picture guy. I always have. I don't plan for tomorrow. I plan for five years from now. And I think she would say that I'm, I'm good at taking care of her, our family, and our company. I think she knows that I have the best interests of it at heart, one thousand percent. 
Um, that being said, what am I not good at? Oh God. Um, <laughs> oh, keeping my mouth shut at times. Uh, I, boy, I try to <laughs> micromanaging, you know, micromanaging. Um, I micromanage, I micromanage a lot. And, uh, I'm, I'm a bit of a control freak in OCD. So when I'm in an environment that I have nothing to control at the moment, I look around for things to control. Um, and if she's the only one in the room, guess what? <laughs> yeah, she would say micromanaging. Yeah, you know. But I try. I'm trying to be that shepherd. You know, Pulp Fiction, the great line. I'm trying to be the shepherd. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to do the good things. <laughs> I love it. It's also interesting because you answered earlier that, you know, you don't want to be the business owner who needs to be in the business. You want to be on the business, but that's a tension, right. has to be a tension when you have a predisposition to control and, and get into the weeds on things. So I can imagine there's a back and forth on that for you. Well, what happens often is I, I get bored easy. You know, I'm a little, uh, yeah, I get bored easy and, and my attention span sometimes is not what it should be. So I take on side projects all the time, which drives my wife crazy. So, you know, like I'll buy a house and I'll flip it. You know, I'll buy a house and I'll rehab it, which will take, you know, a bunch of my time for a minute. And then she's like, why do you need to do this? I'm like, well, because I've been selling monuments for a long time. I still love doing it. But, you know, I love vanilla ice cream. Every now and then I have strawberry. You know, I mean, that's what it is. Switch it up just a little bit. And, and I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a, you know, 51 years old, I'm still a little hyper. And I still, when, once I get rolling, I'm like that juggernaut. I just, I got to keep going. I'm like, I got this. Let's go do this, you know. Um, yeah. It's funny because I, I yeah. when I reached out to you, it must have been the stars aligning that I got you quarantined. Because if not, I don't know when we'd actually get the interview done. I said that to my wife this morning. I said, you know, if I was at my office, the office is a production facility. It's loud. There's people coming in. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot going on 100% of the time. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, we're not home a lot often, but you get this quarantine and it was, yeah, it worked out. <laughs> so let me ask you the, let me ask you the final question. So part of the podcast reason for being is, is for people to hear other people's, you know, career journeys. And, and you've covered a lot of that. I always ask this final question. If, if you could provide uh, career advice based on all of your experiences for the entire world to hear, what would that advice be? Career advice for the entire world to hear. I, I, this is what I think happens too often today, um, especially with the social media presence and uh, how things are doctored and, you know, and, and airbrushed and everything else. I think everybody on the planet is being told. Now, this is just my view. I think everybody on the planet is being told you can be whatever you want to be. I've always thought that is false. You can't. You can't. Um, I can't. I can't be a female astronaut. I, I can't. I'm, I'm too old. I'm not a female. Um, I think you need to find something you're good at and be the best at it. And you have to look big picture and go, well, I don't really enjoy that to the point where I want to do it the rest of my life. Okay, we'll do it right now and build a family, build a home, get yourself secure. If you want an apartment, get an apartment, do something, be the best you are at it. Uh, and it's going to bring you some gratification because I never thought I want to sell monuments. But when somebody walks into my office who has just lost a loved one, a mom, a dad, a sister, a brother, whatever it is, 
and, and my wife or my son or myself or one of my people build them a monument and I get thank you cards and they go, you made it so easy for us in, in one of the toughest times of our lives. That fills you up. And when you find something that you like to do that fills you up, well, I mean, isn't that what it's all about? I mean, it, I know a lot of people complain about their jobs. Okay. And it's real easy for someone in a position that is in a comfortable position to say, fine, go find a new job. Well, it's not that easy. You know, we still live in a, live in a real world. But to do something that fills you up, and maybe it's a needle in a haystack, man. Maybe it's something some people will never find, and I get that. But, you know, I know what makes me tick. I've done enough self-assessment um, and, and self-reaching uh, for the word here. Uh, you know, I know what makes me tick. I know what makes me work, and I know what makes me happy. Um, I tried to do that, and it's worked out. You know, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think you find something that fills you up inside. Um, you do that. That's it's worked out for me so far. You know. Well, my friend, it's a pleasure seeing your face. And as I said <laughs> to you before we before we hit record, I would either be reminded of things you haven't talked about in a long time, like your grandfather. I uh, yeah. gosh, I haven't you haven't talked about him since we were probably kids, uh, as well yeah. as all the yeah. other the other kind of points you talked about. I just think you have great perspective. You've been through the ringer. You didn't let it kill you. It made you stronger. And yep. you're doing it in an interesting industry, but I think it, it would be that way regardless. So thank you for your time, uh, for your friendship, and enjoy the rest of your, uh, your Monday. Rob, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Anytime. See, I told you this episode had it all. Uh, thanks to you, Graham, uh, for opening up. You covered a lot of ground. And, you know, what I loved about our conversation is you just let it rip. And you exposed everything from what drove you as a young man to how you got through some personal challenges. And, of course, how you've prevailed and the lessons you've learned. And, you know, as I listen uh, to our conversation before I publish, it, it really just dawns on me. This podcast, of course, is about jobs and it's about careers but it's really about learning from life and the stories my guests tell like you did today. In fact, it reminds me of a story someone once told me that life is about the dash. And I said, what do you mean by that? And given the fact that your business is creating gravestones for people, right? We see a, a year born and a, a year that people pass away and it's the dash in between that really matters. How do we live that dash? How do we live story-worthy lives, good lives, lives that allow us to figure out some of the larger questions uh, for ourselves, for our community, and make an impact. I guess what it comes down to is I'm biased, but I love to hear my guests tell their stories and hear how they've navigated challenges and, and come through the other side. So again, uh, thanks, old friend. Uh, moving on to next week, I think I mentioned we would have someone on who runs an adoption agency. She will be on. Uh, but not next week. But I have several guests lined up uh, really accounting for a range of different jobs, careers. And as I just mentioned, I'm sure stories. I'll be speaking to someone I sort of cold called who is a local uh, longtime photographer and also happens to be a hobby of mine. So I'm really excited about that. I'll be speaking to someone who managed to work his way up to the ranks of CFO for one of the largest consultancies and accountancies in the country. 
and sometime this month, uh, looking at the dates still, I managed to have found through a prior guest a woman who has moved during the year of COVID into a new career of being a blogger, and you'll hear a lot more about that. So that's the uh, that's on the menu coming up. I hope everyone is enjoying their week, or their day, their evening, their moment, their night, uh, their December. And uh, until next time, be good, be safe, be well, and goodbye.